You're listening to the Nerd to Know Media Network. Join us at nerdtoknowmedia.com. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, it's now time for our main event. Take a trip back in time to the golden era of the wrestling world with your host, Chris Tetrold Blaine. Welcome to Once Upon a Turnbuckle. Welcome back, everyone, to another very special episode of Once Upon a Turnbuckle. And I, uh, I get to welcome back another returnee guest. Um, listeners to my show, to the audio part before I hit the video side, um, will probably remember this guy from way back in episode 13, where we spoke um, as part of my, uh, my Facebook fans. I was there when we talked about the live experiences. Um, this guy was on and I had such a blast with him that we just had to bring him back and talk about something else. So uh, welcome back, Andrew LaSalle. How you doing? Not too bad. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Good. No, no, thank you for coming back. And uh, we've um, we've got a topic, you know, anyone who's seen the video side can probably see a hint of what we are going to be discussing. But um, uh, what's been happening with you sort of since we last spoke the last sort of few months? How, thing, how things going? Yeah, things have been all right. Um... Here in Canada, we are deeply engrossed in the NHL playoffs, so I've been really attentive to that. Cool. Uh, and also watching my professional wrestling, as I'm apt to do. Awesome, awesome. And just to remind the guys that um, um, who may not have heard the first show, so you know, do, do you keep up with the the current product, or are you sort of a, just a stalwart old school fan? Well, I. I do keep up with it via, I'm, if you're on social media, it's pretty hard to avoid spoilers mm. and people discussing it. As far as watching it, I'll watch Dynamite, uh, AEW Dynamite. I'll watch their pay-per-views. I'll watch Ring of Honor's pay-per-views. Mm. And usually I'll just have either Impact or Ring of Honor TV or OVW TV on in the background while I'm working in the living room. So I'll catch yeah. it every once in a while if I turn my head. Cool. Cool. So it's, it's uh, you, you grew up very much a bit like me, really, a, a fan of a certain era, um, bygone era, some people may say, you know, but I, I, I still think back the 80s, 90s, anyone who listens to my show will know that that's, that's the era that I really love talking about. And, and 
we've got a, we've got a great topic to cover today because I, I'm glad we're doing it now actually because it kind of makes it more fitting because June sort of beginning of the summer always meant one thing for me when I was growing up um, particularly for a few you know particular years um, was the king of the ring you, you're kind of coming off of the still the kind of fallout from Wrestlemania one of my other favorite events I, I was a great fan of the big five events mm-hmm. and so you know going into SummerSlam and then in 1993, they added the fifth event in the middle, which uh, which was King of the Ring. And it um, was much needed uh, because just the four, especially in '93, in mm. you needed something because you weren't having Hogan on TV weekly, no. Uh, no. so you needed something to carry it. And plus, May sweeps, so they'll they would have the King of the Ring qualifying matches in yes. order to get the ratings. Yeah. And do you think by the time it came around that they added in, I'll, I'll go over a little bit of the history of the King of the Ring just quickly in a second, but when they introduced it as a pay-per-view event in 93, do you think it was it got to the point where spending sort of two or three months in between pay-per-views building storylines, do you think the scene had changed? It, that was kind of not really what they were doing or it wasn't really the same market as it was years before? Well, the fact of the matter is WCW kind of forced their hand because they had more pay-per-views, plus they had Clash of the Champions specials. Mm. And there was no longer any Saturday night's main events to bridge the gaps in between the big four. Mm. So you kind of needed something. And it made sense for them to have King of the Ring because it was kind of like their bunkhouse stampede or their war games, where it was something for the house show audiences but if you were a hardcore fan, you were familiar with it just from the PWI Arena reports. Right, mm, right. Going back, so this is something I wasn't aware of. So when I was growing up, obviously my earliest memories of King of the Ring was the first one in '93. Um, I knew about it from the magazine review and and sort of the, the the preview and everything before I actually got to see the event on VHS. So it was kind of a, an odd concept for me because I hadn't seen many tournaments especially like one night tournament events before then but i didn't really know until later on that the king of the ring existed quite a number of years before like you say it was a house show event that they did going back and the first one was in 1985 i believe something i honestly feel is the the thing that the we network was made for and the fact that we keep getting ride-alongs and table for threes and yeah. all of this content that nobody cares about and these king <laughs> of the ring specials are sitting there in in a box unseen it's yeah tragic it must be because because i know it was shot for a house show there must be they must have some record some recording of of all the events they did especially these well they say. showed footage of the 86 one in um in Harley Race's uh, video after he died when they had oh, the okay. video. So there is footage out there and especially when they had the hidden gems on the network and every Thursday they were revealing new ones and every Thursday mm-hmm. I'd be waiting. Is this the week that we get King of the Ring? Because there's no teaser. Sure. You didn't know what you were going no. to get. It never no. happened. And I think because King of the Ring really now they've tried to revive it a couple of times I've seen again. I, I've not watched them but I, I've seen through reports that they, they tried to bring it back. It became more of a footnote, a, a little bit comical, because they would do it on a Monday Night Raw or something. It, it, there isn't the appreciation for the history of it like there is some of the other events. So maybe if that comes back, 
yeah, maybe they will delve into the the archives. But they've got a captive audience there. All the guys that watch the network and like me and you, you know, just they're waiting for it. So you know, it's um. Yeah, I, but I, I mean, like... even that said, I don't know if I would have the same type of rose-colored glasses for the previous well couple of generations ago now if it had the same presentation that modern wwe has with the 73 camera cuts a minute i i wouldn't go back and watch king of the ring 93 or watch king of the ring 96 if it had that type of neck breaking type of action I was gonna, me. I was gonna ask you actually. This is gonna come up a bit later on, but we might as well sort of might as well ask it now. Is if they were to bring it back, do you think it would have the same feel, or you know, would it have a draw to the current audience? Well, it's kind of like how NXT brings back in your house, or mm. you know, they'll have some remnants of past stuff, and mm. it just winds up being so WWE-fied, like you'll have legends from the past and they'll advertise that they'll be appearing on Raw and it will be a backstage segment where they dance. Yeah. That's the mentality of the WWE. And yeah. I, I, it's impossible to get excited. Like I'm a, I'm a sports fan and imagine being a fan of a team that lost in the first round every year in the playoffs. You yeah. wouldn't care about the regular season because you know yourself that it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter until the playoffs and you don't believe until – they actually do it. It's like you're not going to swing for a strike until the pitcher proves that they're going to throw it down the middle. Very true. Very true. Good point. Good point. I I feel I think they tarnished the um, the perception of King of the Ring by what they did in more recent years with it. Like I say, doing it as a throwaway on a Monday Night Raw when there was so much build up to it. You know, when I honestly, even if you look back at the King of the Rings, and I kind of feel like the Intercontinental Title Tournament in 1990, after Ultimate Warrior vacated it, was kind of like their test run for the King of the Ring. Yeah, yeah, could well be actually. I mean, looking around about that time, so there wasn't a King of the Ring in in uh, 1990. It was the only year they hadn't, they didn't have one back then. So they ran from 1985 to 89, and then the next one was 1991. And the 91 one, I think, was the first time I became. That was the one I heard about that um, made me realise there were more before '93. And I actually had that on VHS when I. Oh really? Yes. That's cool. That's cool because that was one by Bret Hart. So, you know, makes you. I think he was perfectly placed to win the '93 one after what happened at WrestleMania, but maybe he had already proved in the '91 one that he was he he could carry through a tournament. Obviously, had a, a a much better run. You know, you had much more credible um, opponents in '93 than the '91 one, but yeah, I'm not sure if Kaylee '93 would be looked upon as fondly if the finals was bred against IRS. No, <laughs> not at all. But there was one interesting point actually in the '91 one is I know he had to get substituted, but um, uh, Kerry Von Erich was meant to wrestle Bret Hart in the first round. Um, I can't think who the guy was. It, it, it's some sort of preliminary name, I think, that replaced him, that Brett then beat in like 30 seconds in the first round. But that was meant to be the Texas Tornado. Which, Interesting. See, yeah. That's what I always liked about the idea of tournaments would be unusual matchups. And mm-hmm. not to you know keep beating a dead horse about modern WWE, but that's one of the complaints that fans have is just constant rematches. It's guys yeah. being married to other guys or performers being per- 
married to other performers and they never yeah. branch out and engage with anybody that they're not involved in a program with at that time. And at that, during the 91, 92, 93 era, you would occasionally get babyface versus babyface or heel versus heel. But there was a lot of matches involving people that didn't have feuds, which I, I didn't mind because it had more of a, a sports presentation. You don't always yeah. face your rivals. No, quite. And you look back on, so going right back to the beginning, obviously, you know, Don Morocco was the first winner in 85. They had what was probably quite a rare sort of heel versus heel match in the final where he beat the Iron Sheik. You know, yeah, and I would have loved of... to have seen it because yeah. I've been revisiting uh, 81 and 83 WWF and Don Morocco is without question the MVP of that era. Yeah. Uh, he certainly falls off the cliff in 84, kind of has a, a dead cat bounce in 85 before completely being an afterthought in 87, or sorry, 86, yeah. 87 until his babyface turn, which he was just roided to the gills. Yeah, see, I, I, my only real memory until sort of recent years, I suppose, of Don Morocco was 88, because the first time I saw him was SummerSlam and Survivor Series of that year. So I knew him as this sort of jacked up um, fan favourite. And I, I, I couldn't get my head around the fact that he was so hated at one point. Oh, he had the crowd in the palm of his hands. And I'm not sure if it would have had the same effect if he was in a pro promotion that had a lot of talkers. Like if you go no. watch Mid-Atlantic, They've got Blackjack Mulligan, Ric Flair, Tully Blanchard, a lot of guys who can carry segments on the mic. But the WF wasn't about that. They were more about in-ring charisma as opposed yeah. to stickmen. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think with the height of like Hulkamania, that was you know cliche running wild at the time. I mean, yeah, you can see the direction they were going with the kind of like say in-your-face sort of characters in the ring. And I, he had he had a good um, yeah. Looking back on this history, Don Morocco, he had a good pairing because wasn't he with Freddie Blassie and, and Mr. Fuji and uh, he was with Brand Wizard uh, initially Brand Wizard, sorry, for, yeah. for his first run in '81 when he won the Intercontinental Title for the first time, and then when he came back in uh, either late '82 or early '83, he was managed by Albano. Mm. And I, the thing about '83 to early 85 i wasn't watching at the time so it's it's tough to to get a grasp on when people went with other managers because that was yeah. not unusual during that era to just see a wrestler all of a sudden have another manager without any storyline explanation they were just it just mm. was presented that way and you just accepted it yeah in the first so that so the first king of the ring you can kind of appreciate was a one night event you know and, and he came out on top you know, nothing really noteworthy came of, of that one that I can tell. And then you got to 86, it was won by, like you mentioned earlier on, Harley Race, who was the one who turned it into a bit of a gimmick. I didn't like his King gimmick, I must admit, but at least there was somewhere it started that you could link it back to. Also, it was something that they did. Um, mm. The older I get, the, the more I realize with wrestling, it's all about TV time. If you're not on there, if you're not being presented, and you're just working house shows or if you're on every few weeks you're you're not factored in you're, you're not a main player no. it's like watching a tv show and let's say seinfeld and this for a couple of weeks elaine's not on there you start to wonder what's going on is she pregnant <laughs> 
so it gave them something to, i mean he, he, they carried that that whole king thing through as well because then it passed to haku and then they he lost the crown to jim duggan so it's sort of you could see that thread going through um, it was kind of like their version of the tv title in a way yeah yeah i suppose so i i remember watching on one of the early vhs's i had there was i think it possibly was the match where jim duggan won it from haku and i thought how odd for them to be fighting over this, you know, the, the crown and the, the, the carnation crown. Yeah, it was, it was, and I think Jim Duggan was just, I don't know, his run was mainly possibly forgettable as the king. It didn't seem to fit really. But the, thing, the thing about Duggan is that he was the type of wrestler that every promoter would love to have a over baby face that isn't affected by losses. Yeah, true. Yeah. And, he he was a good bridge between Haku and Savage, <clears throat> but I do yes. find that the introduction of the million dollar belt kind of made the the crown and, and the kingship kind of feel passe at that point. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. I never thought of that actually. Yeah, it's the, the the million dollar title I thought when I came into it because it was still around when I first started watching, and I thought it was an actual recognized championship. I couldn't understand why people like Virgil who won it. We're never credited with being a champion, you know. Yeah, it's a, it's a good gimmick to have, isn't it? Really, it is because it. it but it was the type of thing where it there was no long term future for a babyface holding it unless they were married to DiBiase in in a feud. Yeah. Because it, it's not a babyface title by any stretch no. of the imagination. So while the WWF was doing this whole King gimmick, which started really with Harley Race winning the tournament in 86, they had a couple more, or say three more tournaments in 87, 88, 89, which didn't really have any bearing on that at all. And they were won by Randy Savage, who would eventually be recognized as the King, Ted DiBiase and Tito Santana. So, you know, again, some interesting choices. You can see, again, that this was really intended for a one night just just to make this house show once a year. Yeah, it's kind of like, I'm, I'm not sure if you are ever if you were ever aware of it, but they had a tag team steel cage battle royal on uh, on one show where okay. the order of elimination made the matches for the rest of the night. So if the Killer okay. Bees were eliminated first and the Heart Foundation were eliminated second, that would be the first match. That's and I always thought that was an interesting one too. Yeah. Just for something different. I've never no, no, I've heard about that. That's yeah. I mean, all the you you think about the amount of gimmick matches that have been around that they tried to hand that in the last. Yeah, they had a gauntlet too. I'm not sure if you're aware of that one. No, I knew I knew of the gauntlet match sort of again later on towards the end of the '90s when they started doing it, but I didn't didn't realize. Yeah, it was like a a long set of guys. There was like 20 guys in it. Oh wow! Pedro Morales had like a three-run stretch where he he won three matches, and then he gets beat by Big John Studd, who has like a a few matches where he wins, and then yeah, it it was a really neat concept. But King of the Ring was certainly amongst those as far as house show angle shows. Yeah, and it made sense for that to be the first pay-per-view outside of the Big Four. So five of those six, as well, interestingly enough, were all held in the same place. Sort of after the first one, the next five were held in the Providence Civic Centre, I believe, mm-hmm. in, in Rhode Island, which, again, you can see why it'd be a recurring thing. Similar time of year, September, October, I think they were they put them out. It's, it's a good thing to kind of build a, a show. Yeah, and, and honestly, to go back to those winners that you mentioned, mm-hmm. Morocco kind of made sense because he was feuding with Steamboat in 85. Race made sense because he was new to the territory and they want to mm-hmm. give him the king gimmick. 
Savage will always make sense. DiBiase, main heel. Tito is the real odd one in that. Especially in 89. Exactly. Yeah, because he was very much... in 89. He was very much mid-card. Yeah, fair enough. He beat Rick Martel in the final, so it had some relevance, Mm. I suppose. But again, there was nothing that would build up to something like that or even came of it. And yeah, that's the fact. The fact that they never referenced it made house shows feel so inconsequential. Like I remember Mm. watching the, the weekly TV where they would always have the event center discussing house shows. Yeah. And you couldn't help but think, I watched the weekly TV. I know that Dino Bravo is going to be wrestling Ken Patera at the Monkey Coliseum on Thursday, May 13th. But I also know that they never referenced it. They never no. talked about anything with the odd MSG. And that was only once in a while. Like rarely did they ever mention anything that happened that wasn't on Superstars Challenge. Hell, they yeah. didn't even mention anything that was on primetime. No, I, I think at that event center, actually, I've been kind of, I forgot about that until I started watching some of these old shows back and they, they've kept them in there. And it was, it was an interesting thing. Like I say, they were discussing matches that hardly anyone else that's probably watched that or a good percentage of people watching that wouldn't see. And then they wouldn't actually tell you what happened. You know, it's, it get, yeah, it had no bearing on what was happening. What you were watching. Yeah, it was kind of like non-canon. Yeah. But it was something that as a fan you enjoyed because those types of matches between named superstars mm. didn't happen that often except for your odd exactly. feature match, which was usually telegraphed. Like you could tell that Akeem was probably going to beat Coco Beware. Yeah, but, right. Yeah. But because it wasn't Akeem against Jim Powers or Chris Duffy, yeah. you're like, okay, well, I'm, <laughs> I'm interested in this now. Yeah. So then we, we bring it more up to, to, obviously, I think which is more relevant to this is, is when King of the Ring really kind of exploded when they decided in 93 they were going to put it out as a give it its whole its own pay-per-view um Be- actually before we discuss king of the ring 93 chris i actually had a yeah. question for you go on. fantasy book what do you think happens if they did king of the ring 92 a year before they did king of the ring 93 following the same template of king of the ring 93 and, and future king of the rings which means no champions in the tournament who do you have going over and who do they go over in the finals? It all depends really when it occurred. June. To, yeah, June, okay. June 92. So see, my natural choice would have been Bret Hart at that point because I think he was, he was, maybe I would say then possibly Shawn Michaels. That's what I was thinking as well. Yeah. I think perfect. they would go with Shawn. And I, I think that <clears throat> with Shawn, it would be kind of like when Owen won, not to get too far in the future where they reference the the crown and, and the robe more so yeah. than Brett because Brett wins the king and he puts it on after he wins and then he never has that I know. robe no. or crown on ever again. No, he doesn't take the gimmick on. They reference it at SummerSlam that year because he had that that match with, with Jerry Lawler. But that was, yeah, that was, that was it. Apart from noting it as an achievement when they rattled off all of his title wins, I suppose, later on. I think he would have been HBK, Heartbreak King. HB King, I like it. Yeah, (laughs) I like that. Wow, that would have stuck. And he, he, yeah, he could have had the crown in, in sort of in the hearts on his. Yeah, Yeah, with the hearts, yeah, it would have been great. I like it. Yeah, yeah, I definitely think he would definitely be up there. Who he would face in the final would probably be debatable. I'm not sure. Maybe someone like the Bulldog. Yeah. Well, it depends what they're doing with SummerSlam. I mean, yeah. 
If well, I mean, it does make sense. So they do tend to like to have somebody lose before they win a title, so that they have a ready-made yeah. angle for after that, which they wind up doing with Sean anyway. Yeah, yeah. But I, I would. I've never thought about King. Even looking through this, I've never thought about what if they did it in '92. Yeah, that would be. Well, it's funny because I was watching a lot of superstars from '92, and they had a completely different direction. It seemed like the company was going before they changed the location of SummerSlam. Mm-hmm. It seemed like where they were going was Brett and Sean. They were going with Papa Shango and mm-hmm. Ultimate Warrior, that they were yeah. going to go with Savage Flair in a rematch mm-hmm. that it, Davey Boy and Repo Man even had uh, right. an angle going on. Yeah, and then everything changed. Like, nope, all that stuff that we've been building yeah. towards. House show, just house show. Yeah, that's it. I remember having, I, I was given a, a, a VHS again by someone we knew had taped a load of prime time and all American wrestling and that. And yeah, those those angles, I remember the Bulldog and Repo Man one, and then it never never came to anything. And yeah. that would have been quite, as much as I didn't think Repo Man was that exciting back then, that was a good um, a good feud they were building up there, really. Yeah, it, it's like I mentioned before, if you're on TV, take advantage of the time that they give yeah. you, regardless of how much time. And Repo Man kind of did that because I don't see too many people referencing Lance Cassidy, but people will <laughs> reference Repo Man. Yeah, exactly. It's memorable. Absolutely. You know, whether it's the look of him or what, some people think it's it's Hammy. Fair enough, it was. But, you know, he got a, he got a shot and he, he got on these big pay-per-views, you know, back then as well. So there must have been something in it. He was, he, was a, he was a good heel to have some of your, your upcoming babyface to bounce off of, I think. He was. Now, going back to 93, uh, were you watching uh, at the time the, the TV? Were you watching? No, uh, I, oh. I was literally just seeing the um, the pay-per-views and they got the magazines. That was really my point of reference. Yeah. Okay, so, yeah, it must have been really weird seeing, like, where did this Mr. Hughes come from? Yeah, see, I, I knew kind of knew of him from sort of WCW back then because I started mm-hmm. to follow it so I, I know he was there but yeah it's like why is he why is he there how did he get into the King of the Ring firstly because there was no reference in the magazines to the qualifying oh, the qual- matches yeah. oh, okay. so I had no idea sort of what went on again until I've done research in sort of more <laughs> recent years have you watched the Mr. Perfect Doink series yes I have so yeah. good it's good. It's one that didn't excite me while I was watching the pay per view, and they, they were ref- they did reference that one where he um, he had to wrestle Doink three times. And I thought, Christ, I don't know if I could sit through three of those, let alone, you know, one of those, let alone three. But yeah, no, it was. It, the, the well, I mean, if you really think about it, it's insane. criminal that Doink, probably <laughs> one of the MVPs of the first half of the year, yeah, had two pay per view matches, and only one of them were advertised. Yeah, yeah. Um, with him, he sort of crept in. These match against Brett at SummerSlam, I quite, quite like. But that, that was Lawler well. and Brett. Doink was a surprise. I love yeah, the, the Doink yeah. and Brett stuff, but yeah. the fact that you have this really hot heel, mm. and he's not on the card for King of the Ring. No. Before SummerSlam, you think he's not there, and then the next thing you know, he's gone from the company. Yeah, I, I, I do think um, the point of the Rumble shirt should have used him. Oh, sorry. I said the Rumble sure could have used them for some much-needed star power in that Rumble. Yeah, probably, yeah. <laughs> um, I think when Matt Bourne stopped being Doink, and the Doink, that's when he really became just a real sort of wrestle crap kind of. Um, 
I, I think you know it was it was good as a heel in some respect, but I I do much prefer Matt Bourne with that sort of sadistic. Oh, as opposed to the Ray Apollo, or I, I don't know. Yeah, Ray, right, yeah, right. Babyface Doink is is awful. It's absolutely yeah. the worst thing. He had an edge as a as a bad guy, really, because it was just one of those things you shouldn't boo a clown. <laughs> you know, you didn't like Right, and I, I think if Matt Bourne would have been the babyface, I think it would have gotten over kind of like Undertaker as a babyface. You may yeah. not have thought, oh, how's a dead guy going to get over as a babyface? But yeah. I think Matt Bourne could have made Doink work as a babyface targeting heels like Bam Bam Lawler. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, actually, that I, I quite liked... I, I was quite entertained with Bam Bam Bigelow back here, and again, we'll, we'll, we will reference him in a bit because he was a massive part of the first um, pay-per-view anyway. And um, I, I love seeing the feuds that he was in, but the Doink one, I kind of thought, how did it stretch on that long? How did it go from Survivor Series pretty much through to WrestleMania and still hold substance? Well, I mean, if you, if you think about it, Jake the Snake Roberts and Andre the Giant, I think their feud started in October of 88 and then climaxed at WrestleMania 5. So it yeah. was a time when you could stretch things despite yeah. giving people a little taste. It helps when you don't have three hours of TV a week on one show yeah. and then two hours on another one. Absolutely. Yeah. And that might be one of the reasons why concepts like this would probably not do as well nowadays because yeah, i mean because you don't get just... nasty boys every week on tv but no. you know the third or fourth week when they're on there you're reminded oh yeah they exist and yeah so you could exactly. conceivably stretch out angles and feuds exactly so let, let's let's get in and let's talk about the, the 93 one we can bounce around we don't have to do this chronologically mm-hmm. but this is kind of where i wanted to start digging into the, the pay-per-view side because naturally it was the first one it's the first one i remember um, just get your opinion, really, on which year was your favorite when it was a Oh, 93. 93. Cool. Okay. There's, no, there's no contest. Um, even if you look at it uh, from a kayfabe sense, who did Brett beat in the first round? Razor Ramon. Who did Owen beat in the finals? Ah, yeah, I made these links as well. I thought that was that was great. You know, and it's, it's, it's good to show it's where Razor Ramon progressed over that year as well by getting to the final. But yeah. That link where, you know, the Hart brothers boasted in the yeah. room. And, and Owen uh, just does it not quite as impressively as no, that. So it, 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 it works within the, the story that they were telling. It does. It does. I, I think looking at the later years, the, the star power you had actually in the tournament in the 93 one far surpassed any others. Um, 94. There was multiple good. winners that you could envision. It's kind of like exactly. any given year with a rumble. They're, there's 30 men entered, but usually there's at maximum six guys that you could envision main eventing the mania. As soon as they made that the stipulation, it mm. really took away some of the intrigue. You weren't going to have another Big John Stud victory. No, but, that's true. No. But with King of the Ring, by not having it until 95, of course, with it was just pretty much its own thing. There was the possibility that, hey, maybe this, maybe they are going to put Mr. Hughes over and make him a yeah. big monster heel to face Undertaker. Maybe yeah. D- Duggan will have a big redemption arc. Although, honestly, he was the guy that had the, the smallest chance of winning. Yeah. Yeah. The interesting, I mean, the Bret Hart run, I'm, again, a massive, massive Bret Hart fan. So I absolutely love seeing the story he tells or the story they tell through that tournament with him, I think is, I watched the event a couple of weeks ago again, and I absolutely love it. Because, again, the, the commentary as well, Bobby Heenan does a great job of just 
telling everyone how banged up he is by the final, you know, all these injuries that he's accrued through the night, through his three matches, and the fact that you think of Brett as the underdog in the final. Uh, it, you, know, you do. And also what I love about it, and to a lesser extent the, the next year, is that it, it had a sense of attrition because you had mm-hmm. first round, second round, se- semifinals, yeah. finals. As soon as they made it so that it was just the semifinals and finals, yeah, it didn't seem like as big of a deal. And I get it. Austin three sixteen says, you know, I was, we just I was, I was going to say exactly that. Um, it is, is I was so disappointed when in '96 because again, I really, really looked forward to the King of the Ring. I loved when they used to start with the qualifying matches and everything. And then when I learned that actually only the semis. And the final were going to be. I was like, "What's the point of having an event called King of the Ring when actually only three matches?" It's like Survivor Series '92 when you only have one Survivor Series match. Yeah, we call the show Survivor Series. It's, it's just you're just literally clinging onto the name and making some. And that's that's when it really did start to. To I was always interested in it, but it started to lose. You know, it wasn't special anymore after that. Yeah. 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 Plus, you had the introduction of the in your houses, so it really. Just watered, watered it down, down the, yeah. the concept of pay-per-views. So there was yeah. only a couple of years where King of the Ring was one of the big five. After that, big twelve. Just, uh, yeah, but um, one of the interest, the other interesting points, uh, one of the other interesting things in the '93 one that I quite like is the match with Tatanka and Lex Luger because they were both undefeated. Mm. And it's like, okay, one of them is going to get beat. Who would it be? And then obviously they kind of out with a draw anyway you know Um, if anybody ever complains that brock lesnar was the one to end undertaker's wrestlemania streak just remind them that at least they did something with brock lesnar they had to talk undefeated for like two and a half years and ludwig borgen never wrestled the match on pay-per-view after he beat uh, no well actually no he had the survivor that that was it i know he got into i i'm i quite like um hearing the story of what was supposed to happen with him um, had he not got injured, because he was meant to, the Undertaker was meant to win the title at the Royal Rumble. Ludwig Borger was meant to beat the Undertaker for the title in between the Royal Rumble and WrestleMania, and then go on to WrestleMania to face Lex Luger. Obviously. See, I don't know if that would have worked. It was kind of like uh, it wouldn't have been as good. In, in Mick Foley's book, when he talked about Mark Merrow getting a large contract in Austin and him being very bitter about it because they were higher up in WCW than Johnny B. Bad was, and you're pretty much paying for potential. And and with Borga, those plans that you're mentioning, I never saw that in his in the presentation of Borga. I didn't see that world beater. There's guys that are undeniable that you see the charisma that they have, you see that the reaction that they get from crowds. And if you don't push them, you need to get fired. You need to lose your job. Whereas yeah. with Borga, it was your I'm not saying he was forced, but he could have just as easily been a berserker type push. Yeah, and the fans wouldn't have been calling for the heads of Pat Patterson and no, Tony no, Guerrero. Would have fit. Still would have been yeah believable in a sense. How as well? How are they going to justify him beating the Undertaker? When at that point nobody else could really, you know. Well, I mean, it in that era. There was a lot of hokiness. I mean, mm. look how Yoko beat him. They, he beat him with yeah, the need of 28 million people. So it's anything's <laughs> I mean, Paul, possible. 
the point I absolutely love in the game, I was reminded of this the other day, is during that match at the Royal Rumble, what they got like 10, 15 guys out there beating on the Undertaker. Not Taker is the biggest dick in the world. Nobody, yeah, no but not yeah, exactly. Not one person came down. You know, the, the amount of fan favorites backstage, not one of them came out. Well, it's kind of like how Jesse used to say on commentary, what's the point of having Elizabeth, you know? She's not going to help. When... No, that's, that's absolutely. Like, what's the point of having Paul Barry? He's just going to look at the urn. <laughs> but they were, you know, they fit. They fit. They were back then. You didn't need to know that they were going to get involved in that sense, really. Yeah, it, it worked. I mean, yeah. Taker yeah. stuff was all, it always kind of felt separated from the rest of the stuff. Yeah. Um, but. King of the Ring 93, I, I, I loved the fact that it kind of was like a better version of WrestleMania 4 in that you had non-tournament matches that yeah. had some intrigue, either titles or angles, and including uh, a world title change at the very first King of the Ring. Yeah, that's pretty big. So let's let's talk about the undercard then. And, and um, I thought as undercards go on these King of the Rings, this was probably the strongest as well. Easily. Well, I guess you can make a case for 98. How do you feel about the hell in the cell? We'll get there. We'll get there. <laughs> you know, I, I didn't feel at the time. I mean, that moment, obviously, it, it, that whole event is only going to be remembered, really, for that one. Or, yeah, that one match, but that moment that time just stopped, I think, for everyone. And like, something real has just gone down there, but they're carrying on with it. You know, what else is going to happen? Um, I don't know. I, I'm not as massively taken by it as a lot of people are. And Same. Uh, I'm not into the stunt shows. I want to watch professional. No, that's it. And I think as as the event goes, as King of the Ring goes, it, it really did. The tournament wasn't really that strong anyway, but it just it Nobody even remembers. I, I was trying to think now of who won it. Can Ken Shamrock won it? Yeah. And then they a good final. A good final with him and The Rock, really. It was, again, a sign of that time. A, probably a perfect final. You know, they could, there'd been a story brewing there since the year before, anyway, with those two. That was, and it's just the fact that Mason was the last guy to use the crown and the robe after it really okay. spelled doom for the Tandering concept. Yeah, definitely. I know Triple H, he should have done really. He, he wore he it, that, didn't he, afterwards? And he, it really, really just fit, but then he went on to a few months later. Um, yeah. you know, DX, so it really didn't fit in with that, I suppose. But that had he won it in 96 like he was supposed to, he would have carried that through. I think so, because at that point, he was... I don't know. I've, I've always found uh, Triple H a boring Steve Regal uh, impersonator. Mm. I, I thought if... I might, I'd rather watch a better version of what he's yeah. trying to do than ever watch Paul LeBac. Yeah, It was... It was a little more over the top. It was it was kind of a, it was a bit of a muted character I felt, but it was a little more over the top and exaggerated than Steve Rubens. Oh, it, you could kind he would have just... absolutely had the crown, and mm. if not for Shamrock, it would have felt like a a heel heavy pay per view. Not counting Brett, yeah. of course. Yeah, they needed to show that they need to have that to just add some intrigue in that it's yeah. not going to be a heel win every year. But the fact they don't do anything with it afterwards kind of mm. makes it feel like. You could have just called this best wrestler of the night tournament. Yeah, yeah. I, I, ninety three. It had that that real sort of passion about it. Um, Hot crowd too. Hmm? 
a hot crowd too. Like it, yeah, no denying, crowd was into it. Yeah. Okay. Before we go into '94, here's, here's a question. Then something I was thinking mm-hmm. about. So uh, back then, um, so the first two years, the the title match was sandwiched right in the middle of the card, pretty much. So it wasn't the the, the closer. You know they. <sighs> in a way, reserved that spot for the final. They did have a little bit of a um, a, a black mark. Oh, don't deserved. forget Lawler and Piper. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's probably best forgotten. Um, <laughs> but they, you know, but what's your thinking of, of putting the, the world title match in that position in the middle? You know, was it a good thing to do or should they have left it to the end? No, I think it it, it worked because it made the King of the Ring the – the thing that was special is kind of like survivor yeah. series 91 you have taker beating hogan but it's not the last thing that the fans no. see no. it's still a match in the middle of a, a bigger thing it, it was like how i always thought royal rumble was it 97 when sean and sid ended it instead For, of the rumble yeah yeah bullocks they, as you guys would say <laughs> I love it. but in 96 they did that with brett and the undertaker and yeah and that was also awful it, it, it was yeah. You can't, you can't follow a rumble with a match. No, the crowd. I can't imagine it. the type of match that it would have to be in order to follow a rumble. And anything short of somebody being set on fire, it's not going to have a <laughs> crowd on their no. feet like they are at five, four, three, two. No, that's it. And by that point, I mean the fans are probably exhausted after seeing an hour-long Royal Rumble. They're not going to be into. Um, I mean, the '97 title match wasn't great anyway. Yeah. You know, the Brett Taker one at least had a little bit of intrigue in it. Yeah, but it's still, it still it had the same feel of a, an exhausted crowd watching yeah. two wrestlers try to get something out of a crowd that is just not not having yeah. it. And King of the Ring had the right idea. You don't have that monster pop for Brett if or so you don't have that same reaction for a Yoko title win at the yeah. end of King of the Ring '93. And I don't know if there would be, have been a King of the Ring '94 if that would have been the last thing that fans would have seen. Maybe not. That's an interesting thought. You know, could that have been the only standalone one? I think that everything about 93 was was perfect. I, I cannot fault that one at all. And the fact that Hogan lost the title just put the cherry on the cake, really. Because, you know, it was a good time to do it. You know, they were bringing Brett forward again after kind of... I understand why they probably took the belt off him at WrestleMania, but the way I that it was... that I... I kind of think, you know, he'd had a good run, but they were trying to get over. I mean, Vince has always had this thing about monster heels, I suppose, and they had one they had to make. But they made him and and broke him in one fell swoop. Because I don't really think that... I would have no problems with Yoko beating Brett if he would have just stayed uh, a monster heel and then Brett, you know, eventually gets his win back the following year. And I honestly think the Luger thing works in Brett's favor. It's kind of like with Daniel Bryan, the whole yes movement would it have had the same impact at WrestleMania 30 if they wouldn't have given him so many start-stop pushes beforehand? Yeah. With Brett, it was the same thing. By Royal Rumble 94, there was no way that crowd was going to cheer for Luger over Brett because no. Brett was their guy. They, they'd done that. The, you know, they, they had a perfect chance to kind of launch Lex Luger and, and try him as world champion at SummerSlam. I never oh, yeah. quite understood. The, the fact that people, you know, bitch about modern WWE booking it's not a new thing they've no. always had issues with if you want to get somebody over you can't just take the rug out from them you have no. to go full throttle and you get Luger over by having him beat Yoko but as soon yeah. as he celebrates a count at win you, you've made him impotent and the fans will I, never buy him I, I still cannot 
understand why that warranted such a win. You know, I saw the front page of the magazine. Obviously, I didn't know. So I saw the front page of the magazine when it when the review came out and I thought he'd won the belt because it's just like him on the Steiner's shoulders and you know it's no. He's just you yeah, someone out. Honestly, it, it was the era of the dumb baby face, the, the yeah, one who true. would always was that three? Was that three? Yeah, three. And, <laughs> and that's why fans loved Brett, because Brett was never presented as a dumb baby face. He was in the no. same company with Hacksaw Jim Duggan and the Bushwhackers and yeah. people who celebrate count at wins like it's a world title win. So he <laughs> always had that believability and he always felt like the, the home team. And so yeah. crowds, I, I, I'm sick of people saying that Brett was only over in Canada or Germany. Brett was over yeah. wherever he went. Everywhere. Uh, yeah. Fans bought him and they bought into the, the Bret Hart story. If, if Brett was in a match, people weren't on their way to the concession stand. They realized, okay, this is something I'm going to pay attention to. And yeah. that's why having him go three separate matches, three different matches, including mm. the middle one, which is the best night, best match yeah. of the night. Absolutely. To have that, to have a, a rematch of, of Brett and Mr. Perfect, as, I mean, some people probably could have looked at the brackets and thought, well, it's a possibility, but there's no way that they would put that in there. There's no way at that point that they would have them facing each other, surely, because they're both good guys, and it didn't really happen all that much there. Well, yeah, then, especially after that cock tease of WrestleMania Four with the Savage and Steamboat. Like, it could happen. But exactly, it yeah. Doesn't. It doesn't. And you kind of think you've, you've had Brett and Perfect then, and it's not going to happen again. And I mean, that was a, that was a, a, um, a final-worthy match, really. It was. I mean, if that had been the final, that would have been amazing. Although, you run the risk of splitting the crowd. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah. And I've I don't think I was as invested in a King of the Ring final as much as I was with Brett and Bam Bam because it was typically you want Brett to win, at least I did. But when he's against Bam Bam Bigelow, who's only wrestled once, you know, they have that perfect um bit in the middle where he didn't have to wrestle that second match. You don't you you know, he's got a mountain to climb to, to beat this guy. And then there's again that false finish where you think Bam Bam's won it. And yeah, heels get buys. Baby faces do not get buys. And, and any tournament where you have a baby face getting a buy, then the booker doesn't know what they're doing. You might as well have the baby faces win the coin toss at, on award games. <laughs> like they do. Like they do. <laughs> um, so then we let's move on to 94 then, because um, I, I feel these first two are really the ones that, that should have set the pace for the King of the Ring being more massive than it was I mean, when you watch these first two shows two letdowns for 94 for me well how much ref- did King of the Ring 94 away do you know I don't know <laughs> what do you mean well if you remember uh, the commentator Art Donovan was very curious <laughs> about the weight <laughs> oh yes I remember see that was going to be that's one of my letdowns is firstly Lawler and Piper I, I don't even know if we'll waste any time on this show discussing that one too much because it was awful the finish was awful they had a good story everything about it was bad yeah they neither one i think should have been anywhere close a finishing match on that yeah that would have been like Hillary 93 the last match have been either crush and sean or the eight man tag match it didn't make any sense because it, it it wasn't a hot enough angle to warrant being the final match. Like if no. you're going to do that, do Brett and Diesel. But I get you can't do that considering what happens. Exactly. Yeah, you had to. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they 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 made they apart from that last match again. They had pretty much a perfect card in my opinion. 
But Art Donovan is the one thing that ruins that entire show. I mean, it's funny. It's funny, but why? You got to ask why. You know, why? My um, my my better half is the type of person who really likes watching bad movies, whereas I'm not. I I feel if I'm going to sit in front of a screen for any amount of time, it has to be worth it. I I, I don't feel that life is long enough to watch bad things. So I, I'm not one of these, oh, it's so bad, it's good. It's so bad, it's bad. Art Donovan's commentary <laughs> brings that whole show down. I just what, who, I mean, obviously, yes, Vince obviously had something to do with it, but why bring a guy in who clearly has no idea about what he's got to talk about? You know, you know why? Just, I, I honestly believe. Go on. You're not getting... 100% of Vince's brain and capacity because he kind of was preoccupied with um, with something else. True, yeah, yeah, a little something going on at that point, I suppose. But So I, I honestly yeah. think that there was a lot of misses during that era just because yeah. you're, you're not getting his full concentration. Now, as an excuse for the year after, I don't know if you have one. <laughs> 95, just start to finish. I did a whole show on 95 at the beginning of this podcast when I started it because it is... It's, but there's so much to cover that was wrong. And it's the worst show I've ever seen. Yeah, it is. It is. So you compare that. I mean, you compared 94 to 93, the tournament itself, it was strong. You still had guys like Razor and Bam Bam Bigelow. It's just unfortunate that Bam Bam just got taken out so early. Also, yeah. the match of the night was in the second round. Which would be... Owen and one two three kid That was yeah. the best sub-five-minute match in the history. I was going to say, don't say Razor and IRS, because... No, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> they thought yeah. it was opener. <laughs> but yeah, no, it was good. Um, and the way again they were building up the one, two, three kid as you know, would he even come out because he, he got an injury from the first one, and then he comes out, he's like a hero. So again, you wonder whether he could do the upset again, which would set up a final with Razor Ramon, which would have been quite good. Would have been out. It was good. a very well booked show in that yeah. you could there were several conceivable ways that they could go in the final. Mm, yeah. And the, I mean, the way they did it and the putting Owen over was perfect for that timeline. Again, I did a show about 94 and the one thing that is my favorite throughout that whole year is the Brett and Aaron because it just carries through. There is a thread that goes through the entire middle of that year and it's them. Carried the whole promotion. Yeah, definitely. Like other than the ladder match at Mania, which was really just a one-off because yeah. after that it, transitions to diesel diesel yeah uh, yeah so yeah is... 94 is the brett Nolan show it was Backlund, was... i guess in the latter half of the year yeah that was a i don't understand i still don't understand how he got into that position really well have you seen the superstars match is that the one like the first one they had the brett yeah where Backlund turns here turns here yeah yeah that it's... is a low-key match that you candidate that along with mm. brett against kid yes and Mania against Owen, and you know I'm not the biggest fan of the cage match at Summerslam, but I mean Brett was on fire all year. He was that that cage match. I thought was it's a shame they they decided to really end the Brett Owen bit there. I know it carried on a little bit afterwards, but sort of as far as the main event thing, because they brought the family into it, and there was more that could be done. I mean, if he wasn't defending the title at Survivor Series, they could have had a really cool Survivor Series match. I think. Like the only way it would have worked is if you reverse Nightheart and Davy Boy, because uh, Davy Boy would have more cachet for the crowds as far as yeah. being a big bad. Whereas Nightheart uh, had a lot of 
history with Brett, but nobody was going to buy the Anvil beating Brett. But no. could have bought Bulldog, especially considering what happened two years before. Absolutely. Yeah, and they kind of teased that. Well, in, in a way, I know Jerry Lawler, when he interviewed the Bulldog in the crowd that night, he referenced that straight away. So you kind of think, oh, you know, yeah, maybe, maybe. Yeah. And of, unfortunately, the match they had eventually at the end of 95 in your house with oh. Bulldog and Brett just... Again, uh, I got I did grow tired of the bulldog by that point. The heel bulldog in '95 didn't do anything for me. Eventually, it didn't have you. You never thought he was going to win the belt, so why did they keep giving him a shot? You know, but well, it was he. He was a good B show contender. Mm. He he wasn't going to carry a Mania or a SummerSlam, but no. you know the, these other pay per views that they. Have are contractually obligated with the cable companies to have he mm. he fills that niche pretty pretty nicely without yeah. wasting a, a a a tentpole challenge. Yeah, true, true, true. So, what do you reckon of the the undercard? I'm not going to do this with every single one, but I think the undercard to '94 was quite strong. It was um, with Brett, I mean Brett Diesel. When I saw that first advertised, it was another one of those heels against Brett Hart that I thought, oh my god, they could actually take him apart. You know, it could be quite. A, I know. As a kid, you really do fear for these guys. But um, I thought, yes, there's someone there that could really probably take Brett out. Um, it, it was honestly, it was my first. It was the first time throughout Kevin Nash's career where I didn't just view him as just a, a, a lanky mm. wrestler who existed. Uh, because I I was a WCW fan, so I did see him in the Master Blasters as Oz, as Vinny uh, Vegas, yeah. and when he first came in as Diesel, and he was just very there. He was unimpressive. He was kind of like Diamond Stud before he, you know, found his way yeah. in Razor. Yeah. Diesel at the Rumble certainly made an impression to the point where they now have the Diesel spot pretty much every year or every other year. Yeah. One of the Rumbles. Yeah. And him against brett brett made him kind of like how brett has made so many other wrestlers he made him credible and yeah. you you bought it within the context of the match maybe not the the build maybe even uh people beforehand they thought okay well this is just a guy but brett in the context of the match made you believe that okay this guy's for real exactly yeah and there was points in that especially again i really like the ending the fact that you got the jackknife on him and you would never know whether brett would have kicked out and they carried that through for the next 18 months it worked yeah because absolutely. it brett gave him the match of his career so i received yeah. 95 and in, in my some people may prefer uh good friends better enemies or bitter enemies but uh, i'm a survivor 695 i i i think that's the best one for sure yeah yeah it's, it's it, again i think it's the one with the better ending Again, being a big Bret Hart fan, it always was going to be, but it was just like that. You know, you wondered all year whether... Oh, plus how... the ending was more in question. I never I never thought Diesel was beating Sean one month after Sean wins the title. No. I didn't think Brett was going to beat Diesel in, no. in Survivor Series 95. No, that's that's true. And I, um, I think because they built Diesel all the way through 95, you kind of thought, well, who's going to beat him and how? Because he does seem to be sort of unstoppable in a sense. You know? It, it and... felt like they were... Getting for Diesel Michaels at Mania yeah. 12, a rematch, but this time maybe with the roles reversed. Yeah, yeah. Again, I've my one of my favorite matches of all times that Iron Man match. So I think nothing will ever compare in my mind to putting that one on. Um, 
Yeah, I don't know. It wouldn't have been as good a way for Michaels to have realized that boyhood dream, really. True. Yeah, he needed to beat the guy that the fans viewed as the guy. And Absolutely. Diesel's reign, nobody viewed him as the guy. No, which which brings us on. I mean, one other point about 94-1, actually. It was the first time that I saw the head shrinkers as champions and as good guys, which was really odd to me, you know, having seen them for the rest of, you know, quite some sort of vicious heel team. So and, and, and they, of course, wrestled the, uh, the third head shrinker. They did, yes. Yeah, I've seen pictures of... Um, of Yokozuna as Kokina, Kokina, and when he had tryouts in the WWF in that same Samoa gear, it's, it's, it's interesting to think how things could have been different had they just slotted him into that team. Uh, but uh, it, I'm sure he's glad that they decided to go. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that was a, that was a semi-decent match, you know, with, with Yokozuna and Crush. It, it's never believable. I think that they were going to lose the belts to him, but. Um, how the mighty fall, like I think, from '93 for Yokozuna to to that match in '94. Yeah, but that's really the story of the promotion. I mean, look at King Kong Bundy; he main events Mania two and then Mania threes, and you know, it's, uh, yeah. it, but... it's a, a gimmick match, really, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so let's let's bring us on to what is, in my opinion, anyway, the worst. Regardless of these other these other ones that they've done later on that, that don't really mean much. '95 is dire i don't want to count covid era pay-per-views because no. that's just uh that they deserve their own category but yeah. as far as like pay-per-views with crowds mm. i've never seen a worse one uh no. from the booking to the matches to the every, everything was mm. off about canary 95 and yeah. when i was a tape trader that was probably the most requested tape i had and i had to watch that multiple times for people and i hated every one of them that requested <laughs> but yeah I mean, it's, it was just an odd one i think this is when it started the, the brackets of the tournament started to get weaker um yeah you had irs in there again but he didn't really do much the year before um savio vega obviously yeah we know he was quang but he didn't really hadn't really proven himself at that point Shawn michaels was in it yeah, I was so when I saw Undertaker. That. I mean, yeah. the way the way the brackets looked, it looked like in a best case scenario, you have two of your most over acts in the company meet in the finals, and instead mm. you have Mabel against Savio Vega. Yeah, and pe people still kept their jobs. How? Yeah, <laughs> and you have the roadie get to the semis. You know, it was it was just a total yeah gong show, and I've seen and. Here's, here's the thing. I, people be genuine, and you can tell it's not being snarky. They're not being mm -hmm. ironic. People genuinely have a fondness for Canary 95 and 95 WF because that's when they get into it, and they mm -hmm. can't stand back and, and just look at it objectively and say, every other year was better. Absolutely. There was no year worse than 95. Yeah. I've got a soft spot for it in a way because it was the first year that I started to be able to watch the weekly shows. So I remember a lot more about it from that. But I also remember the fact that, yeah, like you say, compared to either side, it, it was content-wise was just dire. It really was. The, the guys that they were pushing, I think the one notable thing about that year for me, again, that I mentioned in the show I did about 95, was the fact that Bret Hart spent the entire year in the mid-card taking on new guys, Harkushi and Jean-Pierre Lafitte and um, Isaac Yankum as well. Mm -hmm. It's like, what were they doing with him? They ended it well, but why was he there? You know, why Honestly, I, I think prominent... it's because 
you it would be like when Bob Backlund was the champion. You can't have Bruno Sammartino in a match right before Bob Backlund. You had to have Bruno and Bob separated by yeah. quite a few matches in between or in other cities at the same night. When you have Bret Hart in your company and then you have Diesel as champion, people are like, why? Why, why is this? Why, why yeah. are, are you force-feeding Diesel who's not over, who was over beforehand, but as soon as you make him smiley and change yeah. the whole character... No, it's, it just, it's, it's not the same, is it? If they put the belt on Diesel as a heel, maybe in 94, it's a completely different story. Yeah, people would yeah. have invested a bit more in it, I think. Because they didn't want to see you have the, the Diesel character from late 95 in a 96 or yeah. WCW Kevin Nash, I think yeah. the fans would have absolutely gravitated towards it because Nash, for all of his inability or whatever you want to say about him, there's no denying the fact that he comes across as cool. No. And did the, he did not as Diesel. That's the only time in his career at, at, at that point where he was not cool. No. How do you do that? You do that through bad creative <laughs> and an out-of-touch yeah. man who is still in charge. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the odd, really odd thing about 95 for me is there were so many changes around. So I, I turn my back for one minute and I get a glimpse of either one of the magazines or I even got a glimpse of uh, a Monday Night Raw or something. And Shawn Michaels is a good guy, which was good. I, I enjoyed that. Sid is back. He's at the top of the card as well. Bam Bam Bigelow's a good guy. Men on the Mission are bad guys. <laughs> it's like, what's gone on since I've been away, almost? And they're just positioning these really, really bad workers at the top. And I just to work with each other. So it's never going to conjure up a good yeah. show, is it? That stuff can work if Brett or Sean are at the top and can work with yeah. them. Nash isn't carrying anybody. And no. the fact that you have him against Mabel, you have him against Sid, mm. I mean, that title reign was just a recipe <laughs> for disaster because it it may have started off all right with the Brett match, but I mean, mm. think about it. And, and Sean at Mania. And then to go from Brett and Sean to Sid and Mabel and to Tonka and uh, David Boy, who was always a passenger in good matches, never the, yeah. the ring general. It's no. just it's, you're not building him up to be this really impressive champion when you put him against mid card guys at best. And I think with the Mabel thing, um, fair enough, the talent that was in the tournament, yeah, we said about the undertaking, Shawn Michaels. I, I guess the best thing they could have done with that maybe is, is for have, what you said about ninety two. Have Shawn Michaels win it. You use that as a bit of a platform for him now to jump towards the world title. Well, um, I mean, 95 was kind of the the buildup of Sean. It was, it was all about building Sean all year from, mm. you know, a, a tough but valiant loss at Mania to being betrayed by his bodyguard to winning the IC title to having a match against a guy that he wrestled the year before in what some people considered the match of the year in a, in a rematch but getting his yeah. win back yeah. to being knocked out and having concussion issues. The, it was really the Shawn Michaels show all year. He yeah. was the main character if 95 was a movie. And yeah. to have him be such an afterthought in the Chain of the Ring pay-per-view just showed that yeah. they did not really know what they were doing. And it it, it felt like a, a booker who just had names in a hat and shook it up and yeah. just did that. And that's no way to work. You have to work back to front. They had the perfect opportunity to rescue that 
event if they had used him really um i mean what did they do was it it was a double count out or a time limit draw or something with karma time limit draw with karma time limit draw yeah so again so that was that the one that gave mabel the the buy like we said again the heels get the buy you just didn't have the the fan favorite that could beat him in the final really no i, I think if you would have had uh, a razor or a taker mm. or someone of that caliber then maybe Mabel's victory would have seemed like a bigger deal, but him being yeah. Savio Vega, a guy who, <laughs> you know, all the talent in the world, and but he never connected with the WWF's right. audiences the way that that type of push would, would warrant. I mean, right. even one, two, three kid would have been more over. It, yeah. it would have been akin to like having Bob Holly in the finals. It just wouldn't have worked. No. And you look at Especially what in Philly. Then... True. Absolutely. Yeah. Never thought of that. Um, but you look at what Mabel did then. So, yeah, he went on to have a title match. So that kind of winning it meant something. They built that into the storyline. Um, Savio Vega wasn't even on SummerSlam. I think he wrestled Owen Hart. Oh, no, wait, that was next year. That was year. next year, yeah. So he he was on In Your House too, where him and Razor went up against Men on the Mission. So they continued that, I suppose. But then by SummerSlam, he ain't got a place. So it's like, why have him in that? that final match really when you're going to do absolutely nothing with him immediately after. But um, yeah, it just goes to show you that there was no cohesive long-term plan. Now it's that, possible that there may have been all sorts of other things that we, as the fans aren't aware of, like mm. the idea of trusting razor in a spot like that, knowing his demons. And yeah, so true. maybe Savio felt like a, a safer alternative, but mm. Taker was right there, and Taker's kind of I know. You, you can you can beat Taker, and he still maintains his aura because you can always have him beat by shenanigans. That was, and that was the only thing I think that Mabel had going for him on that night is that he beat the Undertaker, and it was an upset. Fair enough, Karma was involved as well, but maybe they hoped that that would give Mabel the credibility to win it. it kind of, I think it backfired. I just don't think he should have been there. But, if uh, it happens just, in Des Moines, Iowa. Maybe it's different, but the fact that it happens in Philly, it just shows you how tone deaf and how persistent yeah. that the WF can be, that we're doing it our way. And that was one of the main reasons why the whole COVID uh, Thunderdome era is so rough to watch because you don't have the fans no. poo-pooing on their bad ideas. So they just run with what they want to do. So you mm. see what would happen if the fans aren't there to to change things to yeah. – Get them out of their own heads. But um, so we move on to to a, a nicer time the following year. They did kind of redeem it a little bit, um, but it was this was the first year. Did we mention that it was they didn't have the first round? Yeah, just and it really course. watered it down and it made it seem less prestigious. Yeah, and I, I get it that in hindsight everyone talks about the the promo, but he wasn't even that, on SummerSlam. So well, exactly. He's on the pre-show in what a one-minute match against Yokozuna, who broke the ring again, and it was just you know it's not something that's going to catapult him right up. Where yeah, it was been. Brett, if, yeah. if, if not for Brett, ninety-six Austin um, was just kind of floundering. He was mm. just a guy on the card, and he had that promo, and there were some signs, and there there may have been some mm. some traction in some of the more smarkier towns, but it wasn't until the Brett feud that he really took off. No. He was kind of he was chiseling out the the character, wasn't he? Really, and maybe the fact that there was so little that they did with him after that shows that they weren't expecting 
to put him there because the, the plan was for Triple H to win it until the... Yes. Uh, Plus, um, Austin the at that time was not the conventional guy that you could picture being mm. pushed heavily in the, no. in the WWF. He, he didn't have that larger-than-life persona. And I don't no. even care that he wasn't uh, built like Sid. This is a company that pushed Savage because Savage mm. was undeniable. Austin's yeah. talent was eventually undeniable. And I'm not just saying this to be a hipster fan, but I remember in 1994, Steve Austin was my favorite wrestler in the world because he right. just had a way of just bumping so violently that you would just have your eyes on the screen. And I was just yeah. fixated on mid-card WCW titles and champions. That, that was They meant champion. something back then because of guys like him. Exactly. Really. But um, yeah, I, I didn't. I I wasn't. A, I wasn't a big fan of Steve Austin in '96. I think when they brought him in as the ringmaster, it was like, okay, we'll see where this goes because he's got the million dollar belt and it was kind of interesting. But then I don't know. I, he was boring. I'm going to say that he, there was nothing visually about him that was exciting. He didn't really do a lot in the ring that that um, got me interested. So yeah, so well, me- the thing is, he was in a company with people that could do what he was doing, mm. only that they were over. So what was the point yeah. of, of having him? And I get you're building newer talent, but the way that they were presenting wrestling in '96, there's no wonder mm. NWO and WCW took off because it was such a, a tired presentation. It just looked bland. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's when you get to the King of the Ring. And, and Austin wins it. It didn't didn't excite me at all. Was okay. Well, he beat you know, uh, uh, Jay way Williams. over the hill. Jake Roberts. Exactly. And I get it. If not for Jake, there's no Austin three sixteen. No. But man, it would have been so much better if it was even like four years before. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's one of those where in '93 it could have gone either way with Brett and Bam Bam. Really, same with '94. But '96, when you saw he was up against Jake, it's like. They were building it as more of this kind of resurgence. Um, like, imagine Austin and Vader in the finals, which could have happened. Yeah. And instead, you get Austin and, and Jay Roberts, where you kind of predict where it's going to go. Yeah. Yeah. You, you knew then where it was going to go. Yeah. They were building up Jay Roberts to be this kind of returning hero. Could have been a dream for him to win it and that. But seeing where he ended 96. I mean, it, it wouldn't have been a good idea for them to have put him over in that anyway, because they would have just wasted it. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's a bit of a disappointing one. That's when that's when the event started to 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 mean mean less. Or, you know, Absolutely. Um, they they started and, and cutting. After that, it never really felt like at any point in the history of King of the Ring was it the best event in the year. In '93, no. no question in my mind, it was their best show that they put it in the year. 94, yeah. uh, I think Mania 10 was, was better than 95, no chance. Um, no. And after that, like any given year, I can't yeah. envision saying King of the Ring was the best show that year. No. It says it all with 96, with the 96 one, but I think one of my favorite bits about it at the time was when Ahmed Johnson won the Intercontinental title. <laughs> Looking back on it now, it's laughable, but you know, that was, it was, again, it was a big thing. I, I quite liked I quite liked him back then. You know, he was this kind of... Well, he wasn't yet injured weekly. No, exactly. You know, he was impressive going into it. And again, you wanted him to win. Um, the, the, the Shawn Michaels Bulldog one was... Again, they, they'd done it the second pay-per-view in a row. It's, it wasn't Nobody exciting. cared. No. Again, and, I didn't was, believe... Oh, he, sorry, I, I didn't believe Bulldog was going to win it. And that's the thing. 
you kind of like well, look at it like this happen. in june of 95 when king of the ring 95 was happening yeah wcw had great american bash 95 that nobody really cares mm. or remembers in june of 94 they didn't have anything they had a clash same with yeah. june of 93 in june of 96 while wf was putting on king of the ring they were like the seeds were there for the biggest thing yeah. at that time since Hulkamania. Yeah. With the NWO. And that's what everyone was talking about. If you were a professional wrestling fan, you weren't discussing King of the Ring 96 yeah. with the buddies. You weren't talking about, oh, are you going to be watching Raw? Are you excited for the Savio Vega Gold Dust match? Are you excited for Bob Holly and TL Hopper? Nobody cared. <laughs> oh. It's almost like they weren't even competing. Yeah, I, I guess the WWF was just not prepared for what was going to happen over the other side. I'm, I'm, re I'm reading the uh, the book uh, Nitro at the moment, which is is all about sort of the fall, the rise and fall of WCW from like a business perspective. And I mean, it's put a whole new spin on it for me, really, as to sort of what was going on. And yeah, I, I think I... Um, it was also for, for me personally it was the first full year i was online oh wow, so okay prior to that my my knowledge of wrestling was through the magazines and through actually yep. watching it and then yeah. as soon as you start interacting with other wrestling fans from all over the world that are observer subscribers and yeah. let you in on some of the inside terms and you start finding out that's who Shawn michaels knights were at, King, at survivor oh, yeah. and yeah <laughs> Like that was the stuff that I was really interested in finding out who the mass wrestlers were, finding out that the execution yeah. was bloody rose at Mania One. That was unusual to me. Yeah, and I was led to believe, I don't know why I ever believed this is true, but I, I was led to believe Bret Hart was the executioner at WrestleMania. Oh, 1. really? I can yeah. see it, you know. He had like but, that type of gear during yeah. that. Yeah, and I was like, wow, he was there at the beginning and nobody knew it. And no, he wasn't. <laughs> No, I just thought he was just like, like a job guy. And yeah. when I first did online, that was what I was looking at. And I remember when King of the Ring 96 was happening, there was no buzz about anything that WF was doing. Like yeah. you had your hardcore WF fans and, and Vince fans who would, of course, always discuss it. But as far as what the masses were talking about, they were always discussing WCW. It always seemed like it was far more interesting that anything could happen. I know WF would always talk about anything could happen, but nobody bought that. It no. was, you know, it always seemed very rehearsed and yeah. everything yeah. just felt, nothing felt spontaneous. It just, everything no. felt pre-planned. With yeah. WCW, everything felt, well, was this book you you didn't know. just now? Yeah. Yeah, you, you did not know what's gonna happen. And all of a sudden that, that was exciting. You know, and um, yeah, it took a big WWF a couple of years to kind of come around to find the one crucial element they needed to to turn it around. But um, so I wasn't going to go chronologically, but we are sort of naturally following that, so that's fine. I'll go with it. Ninety-seven. I I'd be Very hard to remember. Yeah, except for Triple H winning it, which obviously he again should have done. So it's almost like he just kind of he he paid his dues for a year and then he got his prize um it was it was a good final it started getting a little more kind of hardcore than the years before really with his match with mankind and but... if you remember triple h was beat in a qualifying match and he was a replacement for someone i, I can't remember who 
That's right. Yeah. Um, so he was the guy that I thought had the the least amount of chance of winning. Yeah, um, but didn't he lose to like? I can't think who he lost to though. Yeah, you're right. You just reminded me of that. Yeah. yeah so uh, that was really out of left field for me. So I wasn't yeah. expecting Triple H to win, and because I was never high on him dating back to his Terror Rising days, he was just a, a guy <laughs> on the card. And yeah, it also began um, a long tradition of. King of the Ring within the King of the Ring being inconsequential and something else within the card being the thing, the main takeaway. Yeah. It, yeah. it was the Austin Michaels against Bulldog and Owen match at King of the Ring 97. Is, for, for me, that was the thing that really stood out. Yeah. And then, so they, yeah, that's it was meant to be, wasn't it? But then they changed it to Austin against Michaels, which as the tag champs at the time, it's like, okay, interesting, but it's got no substance to it. Why are you doing it? You know? But also, that was a cursed card too. Because if you remember, there was a lot of matches that were announced before, and I think Austin was supposed to face Tillman, and Brett was supposed to face Michaels, and then all of a sudden, that's right, that's right, yeah, yeah, yeah. They were they were bigging that up. I don't know how Brett and Michaels would have really um, fared on the King of the Ring card, to be honest with you. Would have, I'm sure it would have been a the you know trademark Brett Hart a schmoz at at the end, but it would have been hell of a match because those guys were. It's impossible for them not to have a good match. Yeah, true. Except if you count Montreal, but that's that's a that's another show. Yeah, that's another show. <laughs> but yeah, sort of thing. I'm trying to think of what else happened on that that show. To be honest with you, uh, it's, it's very forgettable, which is odd because is. '97 is my favorite year in the history okay. of the company. Interesting. And Interesting. the King of the Rain was just like it. Yeah. Look what it's look what came after it. The best pay per view in the history of the company, in my opinion. Yes. Canadian Stampede. Which Definitely. people look back fondly, and I never see people discussing Canada Ring '97 unless it's one of those on this yeah. day this happened. And people, oh yeah, yeah, I remember that now. Yeah, a bit of a footnote sort of thing. I think the only thing to take away from it was it's where Triple H started to elevate. You know, in that sense, the King of the Ring probably did mean something because it pushed him further up the ladder. Where so ben- bitter. <laughs> If ever there was a reason for a show to be eliminated from consciousness, it's if it helped push <laughs> Triple H. True. Uh, do you really no. need that? No. I, I get, it was an odd thing that they started to do. Yes, it grew into something really memorable, but when they started pairing Triple H with Shawn Michaels not long after this, I thought, I can't buy this because I didn't buy Shawn Michaels as a fully-fledged heel after SummerSlam. You know, I kind of thought it got mixed up in something that it wasn't supposed to be and it would all filter out. I didn't. It wasn't probably until bad well, That's probably because you're not Canadian, Chris. We, we maybe Sean is a heel pretty much from the jump. <laughs> Fair enough. I forgot. I forgot. So yeah, I, I, it was it was an odd part of the year. Um, I it was ju- a few months after that, that that was the event that I got to see over here in the UK, which was in September of that year. So it's kind of riding off of stuff that started from from the, um, the King of the Ring kind of time, I suppose, but. It wasn't until after that that really Austin started to take off a little bit more in another direction. You know, it wasn't just with Bret Hart, you know. And yeah, uh, oh, Gold Dust and Crush. There we go. That's one match that came up into my head from that show. Wow. Well, you're better all. than me because I've watched the other 97 a few times and <laughs> I don't remember anything about it hey, other right. than it's, Triple H winning. Here's a good yardstick then. Anytime you've got a king of the ring with Jerry Lawler in the semifinals, something's wrong. Yeah. It's 100% true. Yeah. 
Because it's, um, not, it's not Memphis. I mean, it, it's no. not the 80s. Like, Lawler and WF was always presented as kind of... It's just a comedy act, really. Yeah, comedy. Yeah. I mean, the match he had at 95 with Brett, I mean, again, die a card, but a kiss-my-foot match. Wasting it's, the hitman. Again, that's the, the whole 95 was about was that, and that's just, you know, it just so happens that that, that caliber of a match was in there. You couldn't, couldn't really... You couldn't blame the fact that 95 was so bad when they were churning things like that out. If anything, you start to question how Brett could think he wouldn't get screwed at Survivor Series 97 yeah. after <laughs> all the stuff he's been put through. Absolutely, yeah. So then we, we move on to the to the next year, which 98, again, as I said at the beginning, is probably remembered. It's not even remembered for the tournament. It's remembered for that one moment. Again, I don't remember the entire match because there's not much of a match that really goes on, but that one moment. Um, two moments. Two moments, what, when he goes through the ceiling? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's it, hearing that that's, it's good that there is that memory that links people back to a King of the Ring, I suppose. But for me, it's not for the reason it should be, you know, the King of the Ring for me should always be about the tournament. But um, yeah, I mean, the Undertaker. Mankind could have had that match at In Your House, Cold Day in Hell, or they could have had that match at Unforgiven or Judgment mm. Day. It didn't yeah. have to be at a King of the Ring. No, it seemed like a bit of an odd one, but again, it fit with the storyline, I suppose. Plus, I did think at the time they're just trying to recycle a, a feud which was two years old. You know, it was plus, good. Plus, you had the first title reign of a mare. That's very true. Yeah, see, I forget that as well. Yeah, really. because it's I mean, all overshadowed. I mean, it's yeah. followed. The hell in the song. Yeah, and it only lasted one day, so you could uh, you could be forgiven for forgetting that one. But you know, yeah, I, I it was a shocking moment. Uh, nobody really predicted or expected that to happen. Um, footage of it still plays on today. They still talk about it. It's got oh, it's a meme. To it. Yeah, you know, yeah oh my god, he's broken in half. <laughs> yeah, the commentary you count again. Jim Jim Ross in '98 had some cracking lines that still play on today so you know it did give us that my um, god <laughs> i'm not even gonna try but it's uh yeah it's, it's it's it gave us that classic moment it didn't really give us a lot else um again yeah you reminded me earlier ken shamrock won against the rock it was a good match they had dan seven in there though so i think they were teasing a shamrock seven final weren't they um, yeah, which would have been interesting to see how they would have worked that in front of a dead crowd. That right, exactly. Anything Severn did. No, no, he was just so. Um, I, I didn't buy into. I did. I wasn't a UFC follower at the time either, so I didn't really. I'd seen him pop up in in some of the uh, the rest of the magazines that I was reading. Knew who he was. But if he would have been in WCW yeah. or ECW or Smoky Mountain or mm. AWA or WF five years beforehand, I'm yeah. sure he would have had. But at that time, for that audience, let, let, let's face it, WWF audiences respond to characters. Uh, mm -hmm. WCW crowds could be won over by work. I've seen yeah. fans not care about wrestlers when they are when they have their introductions and are won over by spots and moves and technique within the match. Mm -hmm. I never saw that with WWF crowds. They would not care about somebody, and nothing they could do in the match would change that. No, no. And um, I think Seven was too stiff for me. You know, there was nothing. I mean, yeah, that's part of his, his sort of visage, I suppose. He just kind of deadpan, very focused. It just, his style didn't fit. 
you know, where I know Ken Shamrock didn't get the time, didn't get the promotion. No. Ken Shamrock blended really well, I think. He, he did that transition really well into into wrestling, but yeah. Seven. But I heard so I saw Seven doing a, a virtual signing a couple of months ago and he actually said he was a wrestler before he was a cage fighter. He was the NWA champion, I believe, before he actually won like yeah. the UFC and I was like I can imagine it in real sort of you know, amateur kind of maybe the territory days, but yeah, it would have yeah. been, he would have been like a Mike Rotunda, like not even IRS, yeah. but like a Mike Rotunda yeah. or a Brian Adias, like a guy with trunks and boots and knee pads yeah. and elbow pads. And, and just, that's fine and well, but that's mid card. That screams yeah. mid card. That's not champion. And this is the attitude era as well yeah. in the WWF, where Steve Austin is on the top of the card in a first blood match. Which again, I was kind of like, how is he ever going to beat Kane? Because Kane's whole body and his face <laughs> are covered. You would never know. So we knew what was going to happen there, yeah. in a way. Um, well, we were deep into the bullshit era. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And the fact that they just turned it over again the following night, it's like, why do it? You know, at least give him a month running with it to kind of build it up for a rematch. But but we, we are kind of getting into the, the realms now. Well, look, Chris, Chris, remember, yes. they make moments. They do. We don't, obviously. But we are we are getting into the, the time now where the King of the Ring really is so unrecognizable to me. Yeah, inconsequential think, as well. I mean, yeah. this doesn't matter. No. You know, Ken Shamrock winning uh, the, the the tournament, yeah, a few months later, he'd be the Intercontinental Champion. Brilliant. Um, he didn't really do it. I mean, The Rock came out of that, I think, better for losing. Really, I mean, he his rise then for the rest of the year is insurmountable. Um, yeah, yeah, it was his SummerSlam '92. Yeah, and then you get to I can't even picture but, now the following years. Well, '99 actually, I, I saw this at a nightclub because it was my first year of being legal. Like, I'm not sure what the legal drinking age is in the in the UK, 19. but okay, 19. Uh, in okay. certain provinces, in the province that I lived at the time, it was 19, and it was my first year being 19. Mm-hmm. And my birthday's in June, King of the Rings in June. I, okay. I remember going to see this and being psyched because the last show that I went to see at, at a bar was Canadian Stampede. And I didn't go to see any in 98 because I was always nervous that I would get ID'd and it would be a waste of going there just to be turned back. So my first one that I could go see legally was Chandlering 99 and okay what a non-show so just trying to rack my brains now because i've not i i didn't want to research the whole thing i wanted to really go off what was in here and what was in here from the king of the ring um you got the ladder match where the briefcase gets raised uh between oh, is that the ownership? It's not the ownership it's like the running of the wwf against steve austin against yes. the okay yeah. it, it was heavily implied that it was boss man who, who did it? But oh yeah, right, yeah, started. no, I do remember that. Yeah, who won the tournament? I'm trying to think that. Is this Billy Gunn? Billy Gunn. Yeah. Case in point, you know. Yeah. Talk about a forgettable year. Ta- a, 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 a tag team wrestler. He was, you know, he had so much success um, in in teams, and this was, I suppose, he's meant to be his breakout. And then, if you look at, I know there was an event in between, but look at what he did at SummerSlam then. Yeah, um, nothing. No, he, he was The Rock's uh, female dog. Now, the Chandlering <laughs> 99, just, it, just dreadful. And that whole year, I, I know people look back fondly on it, but it's it's of the moment 
to, to go back and, and watch it. If you have a thing for three minute matches with non finishes, then that's your, that's your jam. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And then sort of, if we go on to, so my, my mind's becoming really hazy now because I stopped watching the King of the Ring 2000 was the last pay-per-view that I was able to watch sort of as it happened. Um, Cause then, you know, we, we got rid of sky cable, you know, at home. So, that was the one I, I do remember Kurt Angle winning that one, I think, in the right year. Yeah, Kurt, but I don't remember much about it other than that. Uh, yeah. It, it was during that time when everything, with Raw being the way it was and SmackDown being the way it was, the pay-per-views kind of all bled together. And unless something really yeah. monumentous happened, I mean, I can tell you, the qualifying matches for King of the Ring 93. I couldn't tell you who was in King of the Ring 2000. No. And that happened, you know, seven years later. I, I I don't know. I know Angle won. Maybe he beat Edge. Angle, so in 2000, Angle beat Rikishi in the final. Says oh, that's good. Really? I mean, prior to that, you, uh, I think Rikishi beat Chris Benoit in one of the earlier matches. You could have had Benoit and Angle. Maybe that I'm was too dead, obvious. You know. Maybe yeah. that was too obvious. I have a feeling that was the year Crash Holly actually got to the semis as well. Crash Holly, Kurt Angle put Crash Holly out in the semis. Yeah, I think that, I think that's enough said on that one. Really. How did I yeah. forget that? Obviously, obviously. <laughs> um, and two thousand and one, I watched on a VHS probably about a year later. Um, so well, it was it was most known for the the Shane Angle. That's it. Yeah, crazy match. Nobody yeah. remembers Edge winning the King of the Ring. No, which is a shame because I think that was that final four actually was told quite a story with Angle, Edge, Christian, and Rhino. I thought that was quite good because they were all together at the time as well, sort of as a band. Mm-hmm. And then Kurt Angle came back, yeah, and and that was the match that everyone remembers for that again for one moment or one yeah. missed moment. Um, and what a what a that that was Shane McMahon's career match, and I could see a case for it even being angles. I know he's had some bangers, yeah. but man, talk about a memorable match! Yeah, and and again, you know, at what point did the King of the Ring stop being about the King of the Ring tournament? Ninety six. Ninety six. Yeah. I honestly it was every, everything why, why, after that. It was just it was all Survivor Series ninety twos. It was all. Yeah. Why, why did they? Why. Why did they carry on with it? I mean, they, in the last, I don't know how many years, they've been flip-flopping pay-per-view names and themes and that, like anyone's business. Why why did they stick with something that really, the main part of it was just such an afterthought? I I think it's because you have people who, like Vince was never, I'm not, I'm not in his inner circle, but from what I've been able to, to gauge from interviews, reading everything, uh, is that he's not the biggest fan of tournaments. And so mm-hmm. it's kind of like how he's not the biggest tag team fan. So it's kind of an uphill battle to begin with. Yeah. So you need to have somebody who's really, you know, pushing for it in that has some modicum of power. And mm-hmm. I don't know if they've had that. I mean, you're not going to get that from a Russo during that era. Right. You're not going to get that from, people who are you know have other main interests it's no it's not a wf concept that i could see ever gaining much traction with the people that are in charge now and in the foreseeable future interestingly the first and only time that they used the king of the ring 
to build towards a title match like they did for the Royal Rumble to WrestleMania was 2002. The mm-hmm. actual... 95. They, ah, but they built... They wasn't built in that I remember that the winner got the title shot. I think Mabel was uh-huh. just kind of... It was... They created that storyline in your house too that Mabel then went up against Diesel. They actually advertised the King of the Ring 2002 as the winner mm-hmm. will get a title match at SummerSlam. Even though Owen Hart and Mabel had done it before sort of as part of the story. Oh, true, yeah. um, I, all I remember about that one really, because again, I watched it when I was kind of a couple of years past watching it regularly anyway, was that was the Brock Lesnar one. Um, Great Haas match against Test, Test career match, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. I, I forgot about this event until probably about three or four months ago when I had the chance to see it again. And I, it was, it was a lot better than I remembered. And the RVD match, RVD and Lesnar in the final was quite credible, really. Brock was such a breath of fresh air, especially mm. after they bumbled the invasion angle that was, you know, yeah. right there on their lap, given to them. Yeah. They decided, nah, not for us. We don't want to make all that money. <laughs> and uh, Brock was the type of unavoidable talent that I was saying that Ludwig Borger wasn't. You yeah. can't not push Brock Lesnar because he's so imposing and impressive and yeah. He's the type of guy that Vince always says, you know, he wants that person at the airport that everybody is in awe of and wants to go up yeah. and meet. Those are the star, the superstars that he envisions. And, and that's Brock right there. That's the yeah. template. I think what they did with the King of the Ring there brought some prestige back to it. You know, it had a purpose again. I <laughs> Which think is ironic happened. considering it was the last one. Exactly. I was just about to make that point. It's like, why then did they get to that point of making it mean something again and then decide not to use it? Because this is a company, it's like what CM Punk said in his infamous pipe bomb. He's a millionaire, could be a billionaire, even though he's yeah. a billionaire now. He could have more money, but yeah. it's, it's kind I don't of know, they're just, there's no accounting <laughs> for taste. Um, <laughs> no, maybe, you know, I don't know how long it would have survived throughout the 12 month calendar. You've got one match in the Royal Rumble that, that denotes who gets the title shot at WrestleMania. Do you need one in June to decide who gets it in August? It's kind of a crutch. It's kind of like, I honestly believe that the money in the bank kind of made King of the mm. Ring obsolete. Yeah, that's true. And, mm. Yeah. And, and now all attempts at bringing it back, whether it be a, a Raw or SmackDown only mm. show or a, a network only show, it just feels completely completely unnecessary and it doesn't fit with anything you know and i was looking back this morning at the guys that have won these sort of one night ones and you're looking at sheamus and apparently they whoever it was i think it was kevin dunn um made that decision to put it on sheamus to hurt sheamus because he had no character and he knew he couldn't do anything with it um william regal he should have won he probably should have been someone who won the king of the ring years ago when it meant something because he was perfect oh absolutely um, if ever there was a wrestler meant to be yeah. a wrestling king it's a guy yeah. whose last name is regal i mean exactly yeah you know as soon as they got him in there and i know they missed out with him really when they brought him in in 98 they didn't bring him in in the best gimmick with this man's man thing but once they started turning him um into his lord stephen regal character again they had the perfect chance to use that and you know, yeah, and then kind of like is. the idea of putting the title on Scott Hall instead of Kevin Nash, you mm. can't be trusted with somebody who has those types of demons. No. There's a reason why Rob Van Dam getting the title didn't last very long. No, true, no, but you know, I, I'm just trying to think who the other guys are. So, Baron Corbin, I think, is the most Wade recent Barrett. one. 
Wade Barrett, which again is a Brit. Yeah, or yeah. to you know, it's, it's I didn't really know a lot about um, him at the time, but it was quite good, I suppose, to see to see a Brit. Yeah, but at that point, the crown. Exactly. It's it's just like it's a one night achievement, and it didn't really mm. lead to anything else. With, um, without the qualifying matches, without the build, it, it if the company doesn't put any weight and any care into it, how can it expect mm. fans to, mm. to do so? And, exactly. And I'm I'm not even going to not that I'm sure any sort of big wigs at, at WWE are watching this, although they might be. I'm sure they all are. <laughs> I'm not here to implore them to bring this back because I would much rather conclude this by saying, in my opinion, leave it where it was. To be fair, if you'd have left it at 96, I would still be happy. Yeah, moment in time. Yeah. It was, yeah. it, it was a, there was a time when the company cared about it and thus the fans cared about it. As soon as yeah. they stopped putting the time and effort into it, of course the fans are going to... I mean, the fact that Sheamus won it, and I guarantee more people are going to remember Owen Hart was king than yeah. Sheamus, and Sheamus happened much more recently. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it, And it, going back to when it first started, it's an, it's an 80s concept. It's an old-school concept. Fair enough, it probably doesn't hold anything these days of any kind of interest. There's other hey, so Survivor Series, and, and yeah. Rumble started in 88, so yeah. there are things that happened that have the potential of staying if the company stays course and doesn't waver as soon as they make it seem like a, a non-entity like something exactly. that doesn't matter the fans are going to buy into that yeah i'm surprised like really. a jobber entrance of a pay-per-view it sounds like you referred a few times survivor series 92 i mean i i have a soft spot for that event because it was it was again at that time that i was really getting into it but i can't look at it as a survivor series no it doesn't fit. I'm surprised then that that's, that was the only time they did it. Because if it was these days, they would have run with that concept and still just slap the name on it. Um, just because it's a recognisable name, you know, it's a hook. But I'm glad they, they followed through and it's still happening. Yeah. Um, you know, you had the odd ones like 98 when it was a tournament. Or oh, yeah. The, yeah, I forget about that. But even so there, there are some years of, where there's a lot it. of non-Survivor Series matches, mm. but... It still maintains still the integrity of the Survivor yeah. Series. Yeah, I'd much prefer, maybe this is another show we can do Survivor Series-wise, you know, it's uh, I'd much prefer when it was just those Survivor Series matches, you know, um, there was nothing else. When they introduced the title match in 91, fair enough, that was the only other match they had on that card, but it just kind of did open the doors a little bit too. And they bust them there. open the next year with the fact there was only the one exactly. Survivor Series <laughs> exactly. match that was... A match that nobody was looking forward to and nobody cared about so no. that's how you that's how you make the fans not care about it you put out a subpar product and with subpar promotion and yeah. you're going to get fans that treat it like an afterthought yeah so let's close this up this has been brilliant I, i've i've really enjoyed this because king of the ring was such a uh in those early years this was this was the event that really did get me excited to get me looking forward to it because it was a concept it wasn't just a list of matches you know there was something at stake and it's been great to kind of you know discuss it with you and share your take on it and everything if if i was to say in closing if you can put down when you think of king of the ring one moment which is either your favorite or, or you know one that always at the when you hear king of the ring what moment does it take you back to Honestly, the first one, I, I think back to when it was first announced and Brett was given the automatic number one seed and the in the event center, 
Uh, Gene Okerlin was running down some of their qualifying matches. Next week on Superstars, we'll feature Mr. Perfect versus Doink, and on Challenge, we'll feature Ray's Ramon versus El Matador. And that yeah. was interesting to me as, as a fan, because if you're a fan of comic books, what do what do fans of comic books do? They they fantasy book who would win between the Incredible Hulk and the Flash, or who would win between Shazam and Batman. With mm-hmm. wrestling, you who would win between Bret Hart and Mr. Perfect? Who would win between One to Three Kid and Quang? You know, there, there's yeah. there's things that on in the playground you discuss. You have your favorites who like. There's no way Bret would beat Taker. There's no nice. way that Sean would beat Diesel. You know, there's that there'd be things that fans would discuss and king of the ring brought that potential out and so you could get excited like oh here's matches between name superstars as opposed to squash matches or feuds even these were just people competing for the the thrill of competition and that's what athletes do and there was a time when professional wrestling was presented in a serious manner where the fans could watch it and not feel like their intelligence was being insulted to not would not feel like they had to be in on the joke we weren't quite yet in the ironic culture and you could just enjoy it for what it was i don't know if you can do that anymore because you know how can you watch something on the same network that's going to have a kayfabe breaking documentary about Mm -hmm. the the same thing that you watched you can't separate the two anymore no no and that's that's the thing that's why it's so different now you can't you can't put the two products together you know 20 years apart 25 years apart um i'd much much rather still be back there in the mid 90s oblivious you know seven eight year old oblivious to the fact that there was workings behind the scenes i want to believe that what i'm seeing is but honestly chris it was the best time i've introduced Mm -hmm. non-fans to professional wrestling and i've never ever encountered somebody that says i prefer modern wrestling to the older stuff they no. all prefer the older stuff from the aesthetic from the the promos from the in-ring action everything was better back yes. then and it used to be better and it's something about having the memory to remember when it was better to also exist at the time when it was good yeah it's good to have that because thanks to the award-winning w network we can always go back and watch absolutely and as as much as i say against them and how it's changed and that these days uh having the network is just it's, it's i i don't have a subscription to it so i always look every month to see what shows they're giving away free and it's like this month i think it's in your house you know so there's a bunch of old in your houses that i can go back and watch it's just it's it's great because i don't physically have the tapes anymore you know, um, so it's good that they we've got that option, that opportunity to go back and relive it. But, well, uh, it was it was fun talking to you about King of the Ring. No, uh, this I would is love to chat about any wrestling oriented thing ever. Hey, we'll do this again. I'll throw out some other other ideas, and uh, you know, and we'll just go back down memory lane. So, all right, well, some good. Thanks very much for having me. No, no yeah. problem, mate. No problem. Till next time. You know, thank you everyone for for listening and and uh, and watching in. And this won't be the first or it won't be the last that we uh, we meet with Andrew. I'm sure. If um if you like this one and you've not heard Andrew's first episode, then go back. Um, he's on episode 13, and then I released the entire interview in full. I think a, a few shows later. Um, but that that's a good one. It's you know it's it's yeah. brilliant talking to you, mate. Anytime we get to do this. Don't forget to smash that subscribe button and hit like and tell all your friends and family.
Absolutely. Thank you. I should have done that myself, but there we go. Thank you very much. <laughs> cool. I shall speak to you again, sir. You've done it. Have a good one. You too, mate. Thank you for listening to a Nerd to Know Media production.